Welcome to the first special tea episode of Reproducibility. I'm Sophia Cruvel and I'm here with Amy Auburn and Sam Parsons and yeah. today also Tim van der Zee. Yes, hello. <laughs> Who is Skyping in from Ann Arbor. Absolutely. How is the weather in Ann Arbor? It is a little on the hot side and quite humid, but um, I'm starting to adjust slowly. So it's, uh, I think the key thing seems to be that you have to walk really, really slowly uh, when you're outside. That helps a lot, uh, but yeah, it's hot here. Yeah, well, the most of them drive, or do you do a lot of walking? Yes. Well, I do a lot of walking, and I really like to walk a lot. Um, so I walk about 20 minutes something um, to my work. But um, yeah, most people just drive. But uh, yeah, so I don't have a car there. here, so. Sorry? So you can't cycle there? No. Well, you can, but then I have to rent a bike or something uh. or borrow one from someone. So yeah, I just, um, I know it's. I'm supposed to be cycling as a Dutch person, but <laughs> I usually prefer to walk. <laughs> so Tim's already doing part of the introductions for us. So, yes, exactly. Um, oh, no. We got yes. the, he is Dutch. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're, you're a PhD student at uh, Leiden, right? Yes, Leiden University. And what have you been working on for your PhD, for our listeners who don't know? All right, sure. Um, so uh, I, my background is in psychology, so like a mix between cognitive and education. And so for my PhD, I specifically look at online education. So things like MOOCs, massive open online courses. Um, and within MOOCs, I look at how do people learn from instructional videos. So most of those online courses, they heavily depend on those videos. That's like the main content of those courses. So I look at you know, how do people learn from them? How can we improve the design of those videos? Or like how should they be embedded within a context so people learn better? Yeah, that's the, more or less the main topic of my PhD. Yeah, but alongside your PhD, <laughs> you've been um, involved in <laughs> quite a few other things, um, which we're... Yes. Uh, also want to talk about so maybe give us an overview of that as well yeah sure so um, uh, in my um, the rest of the time so I usually say like when the night when the sun is shining during the day I work on online education but at night, <laughs> at night I'm Batman no I'm not Batman but no so um, I, I'm very strongly interested in like meta science in general so like looking at the um, reliability of the way we do science or the lack thereof, usually. Um, so I kind of accidentally um, rolled into this project where we looked at the um, series of, of questionable research practices of um, one researcher in particular. Um, so we've been trying to like identify errors in the scientific literature, develop tools that can detect those errors, um, and then publish those tools, as well as the, the errors we actually find. Um, so yeah, that kind of like uh, very, uh, uh, I think, interesting kind of meta science. <laughs> and uh, uh, so for the listeners, what sort of errors are you talking about? Right. So like most of them are actually like surprisingly basic. It's like so. For example, like um, if I would ask two of you to rate something on the on the Likert scale or a Likert scale, I don't know how to pronounce that, um, <laughs> but on one of those scales. And like on a one to five and, and two of you answer and then the mean of that can be like three or four or maybe 3.5. Uh, 
but it can never be 3.6, right? If you have just two people and they can only give whole numbers, the mean can never be 3.6. Now, if I would ask the three of you, then, <clears throat> then the mean can be 3.5. It can only be 3.33 or 3.66, for example. Um, so you have the, this kind of granularity when you're um, summarizing data with a mean or even with a standard deviation, the same is true. And so if you know the sample size and you know that a mean is based on those Likert scale data, you can detect which numbers are just mathematically impossible. Um, so those are what we call grim errors. And I, I, I didn't develop any of this, by the way. I just used this to, to find those errors. Um, so like you, you will get some papers where like most of those numbers are like just impossible. Like all those means are just not compatible with the sample size. Um, and the same is true for standard deviations and standard errors, and then the calculation is a little more complicated. Um, yeah, so errors like that, those are like very basic errors in a sense. Yeah. So are there any um, favorite errors that you've uncovered so far? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, a lot of those, uh, but like, I, I guess my, my favorite story is, so this is from uh, Professor Brian Wensink at the uh, Cornell University. <laughs> what? Who is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, who is he? Yeah, but, okay, go ahead. No, no, no. I'll, I'll, gi I'll give a slight background story yes, to maybe. this story. So he does a, uh, like, food marketing research in a sense, looks at how people consume and buy food. And... Well, well, we found many of those errors, but th there's all kinds of weird stuff. So this is, I think, one of my favorites, is that he looked at uh, if you have children in like a, in a school setting and they go to lunch in a, in American school setting and they get lunch at school and they will either have unhealthy cookies or more healthy apples, for example. And he wants to influence them to pick the healthy apple. So he thought, well, what if I put an Elmo sticker on the apple, right? Will this make the apples more attractive? Of course, this is a very interesting research question. Um, I, mean, I mean, honestly, it is. In a sense, it's, it's important, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so he reported, he had a, like a preliminary report to the FDA, which funded this research. And he mentioned that this was with children aged four to eight. Um, and then later he published a paper and in the paper, he mentioned that there were children aged 8 to 11 in, in the published paper on this. But then later, he cites his own paper and citing it as if it were with um, children aged 4 to 8. Um, so he cites his own paper incorrectly twice. And then later, he has to correct this original paper for other, other errors that we found in that paper. And he again says that, no, 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 those were children aged 8 to 11. And he literally said in the correction, like, you know, the paper is now without any other errors. This is it. It's, it's now flawless, there are no more errors. And then later he has to correct that article again because it turns out that there were, those were actually children aged 4 to 8 instead of 8 to 11. Um, so had the corrects the article twice, and then it got retracted. Um, but it's just messy. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, I think you... 
if you start looking into his work, you see that it's been kind of heavily influential, not just in his area, but kind of across the board. Um, yeah. In my area, so I look at technology use and social media use. It's had like his, <coughs> he had a study where they had a soup bowl and it replenished automatically and people oh, who, yeah. drew, who ate from the replenished soup bowl ate more. And this is now being cited by like pretty influential people, not in who call themselves academic, um, but don't you know publish in peer-reviewed journals as kind of scientific evidence why the replenishing Facebook newsfeed is addictive. And it was oh, on really? it oh, was wow. on major major um, UK television. It was on our major station at the key time in a documentary, kind of four days ago. And they had a big thing where they, the the host of the documentary was like eating tomato soup and then they were like, right. Oh, and the scientists would found out and and you're there going like Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> just imagine you like that moment in a film where someone just snaps whatever they're holding in pure rage. <laughs> yeah, I took to Twitter because that's what I then do. But um yes. it was yes. it is it is Same. it is crazy how influential such work which I guess just speaks to people. Yep. is so yeah yeah but it's very hard to trust it if they get the most basic things wrong like <laughs> if you if you don't remember the age of your participants and they're like twice as old it's mm. like jeez. yeah no i'm not i'm not saying that um it's without error just because i think it's do you think that um we need to be extra critical of work that seems to kind of speak to us, you know, that we kind of want to think is right. Like the FDA might really want right. to think that putting a sticker on things will automatically <laughs> improve the health of our kids because they, and I don't know. Yeah, I guess definitely so. I mean, in a sense, we have to be like very critical of everything, right? But I guess like, especially if it's like those very like cute findings that, that will make headlines and like that we want to believe because it confirms our biases or maybe it helps us believe in like this fairy tale version of the world where like with very simple like magic tricks we can compel people to do one thing or don't do another um yeah definitely i mean that's probably not how reality works in the first place but yeah as soon as things starts to align with our biases we have to be extra critical yeah. And are you finding in the in the feedback from your not even critique but just pointing out of these <coughs> errors that there's a backlash against maybe not a backlash but there's a resistance for people to reframe their understanding of these issues or even just to appreciate that actually these results might just be nothing. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. <clears throat> Sorry. I have a dry mouth. <coughs> Um, it's in, so with with the whole Wensink affair, we never got a very big backlash in terms of criticism, of our criticism. <clears throat> I mean a little, but not that much. But I do still sometimes get the weirdest reactions. Where um, I think this was after SIPS last year uh, in um, uh, Charlottesville, and I was in a plane with someone who was also. I think he was also attending SIPS. Anyway, that doesn't really matter. But we talked about Wensink, and I, I explained about all those errors and irregularities. And then the response was, and this is very typical, that, oh, yeah, okay, 
but you know, I still believe those findings. Like, well, but but why would you then? And and this make and this goes back to, like, if those findings are so, they're so aligned with what we want to believe. It's like, well, if you believe something without needing any evidence, then why yeah, are you doing any research like, in the first place? Yeah, like yeah, why are we doing this in the first place then? <clears throat> it becomes this this undefeatable opinion, right? You don't need evidence for or against, it's just what you believe. I, mean, I guess it's fine in some situations, but yeah, it's uh, it's a little <laughs> odd. More, more in church probably than <laughs> Yeah. Than in I mean, yeah. I mean, I also wouldn't say that like we need like extensive evidence for like any opinion or any kind of activity we engage in. But like, yeah, you know, if if you make big claims, then you need big evidence. Right? How do, how did you find the situation was being kind of a PhD student in that process? You know, in that a lot of what science builds on is a very strict hierarchy, and this is changing. Yeah. Thank God, um, but. How, how did that, you know, how did you personally go through that and navigate that situation? Right. Yeah, it's a good question. So initially, this is before we kind of broke this whole Wensing story. Um, we've been talking about this, like, how do we want to go public? Or do we want to go public? And this is only like the final step in, in many other things we did, we've done. And I was worried to some extent, like, you know, how is this going to impact, like, my career? Um, like, how are people going to see this? Is this going to be something I will regret immensely? Like, you don't know what's going to happen if you openly criticize someone, especially if it's, like, a 10-year full professor from an Ivy League university. I don't know. Maybe he's going to attack us back. I, like, you just don't know. So there's a lot of uncertainty in there um, and it can go either way but eventually I decided like okay it is probably going to impact my career one way or another and maybe people will not want to hire me because I've been like a troublemaker to some extent but then I also might not want to work with them um, so maybe it's, it's, it's a good thing in a sense as long as somebody will hire me um, so yeah, I yeah, I mean, I, I talked to a lot of people, got some advice, and then I don't know, just went for it, and uh, yeah, I how's mean, I've been. So, I, how's, it gone, how's it gone so far? Pretty good, it, actually. It has surprised me how little uh, lashback we actually got on this. Um, reception overall has been like positive. Like, oh yeah, you did good work, and like. You know, it's good that you're doing this. And there's always some critics and they say, like, you know, why are you focusing on, on just this one person? And then the suggestion is that we should look at, like, hundreds of people. And then I'm like, I don't have the time to do that. So why don't you help out? And then they don't respond. Um, so you've had those kind of comments. And, like, you know, and I mean, it makes sense. Like, it's a good question to ask, like, should you focus on one person or... But, um, yeah. So... so I think reception overall is good. So, I guess it's and hard I, to argue against the idea that your numbers don't add up. Whereas if you were hounding someone yes. for a, my methodological stance or my theoretical yeah. stance is different to yours and therefore I hate you, is a very different yeah. thing to you can't add. Oh yeah, um, definitely. <laughs> and I think, I think this is actually like maybe the biggest 
characteristic of this whole affair that 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 explains why this has been relatively like smooth process like it's just like we can just show those numbers are not correct like mathematically impossible so that something has to be wrong and then you don't know exactly like what caused this but you can definitely show beyond any doubt that those numbers are wrong well in other cases it's like you know your work doesn't replicate uh, but then what does that even mean and like uh, I don't like your method like so th those are those cases are more much more complex than this one so I got lucky <laughs> or we got lucky I mean I I haven't been doing this alone at all of course um, yeah should we take a little break now we'll take a break <laughs> all right cool Perfect. awesome <laughs> You are listening to Reproducibility, serving you discussions of important issues in science and psychology one mug of tea at a time. Do you like the taste of our podcast? Give us a follow on Twitter at Reproducibility, rate us on iTunes, and tell other early career researchers about us. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter or via our email address, which is reproducibility at gmail.com. Over the next weeks, we will also release some special tea flavors which are small podcast episodes talking to a wide range of psychological researchers, especially awesome ECRs that we want you to meet. If you have someone you think should come on the show, send us a message. So we're back from our break. Uh, we're currently talking to Tim. And uh, yeah, let's Hello. continue. <laughs> uh, so Tim, you talked a little bit about the backlash, I guess, from a from an academic stance, in a sense, from, mm -hmm. from some of your detection work. Um, but you're also quite heavily involved in the social media scene. Right. Uh, quite often, yeah. as I see it, fighting trolls. Um, but usually <laughs> fighting the good fight, as far as I see it, for open science and so on. Um, oh, thank you. Which is, I guess, a different type of backlash. Um, yeah. Especially oh, definitely. in the last yeah. few days, there's been some, some fun going on. So <laughs> maybe you could talk about that for us a little bit. Yeah, about that person specifically. Uh, or? All of it. We don't have to I, I actually it, didn't but... read it, yeah. so you can, if I get it when you explain it to us, then hopefully our listeners <laughs> yeah. will get it as well. Yeah, I mean, just uh, go back through my feed and you'll probably notice some um, oddities <laughs> and irregularities. But um, yeah, and I updated my Twitter profile based on some very interesting insults I got. So yeah. I'm very thankful for that interaction because I've learned from that, I guess, in a sense. No, yeah, Twitter is very weird. Um, in case people didn't know, it is very weird and a lot of weird people on there, um, including me, I guess. But yeah, well, one of those tricky things about Twitter is like, uh, it's like everybody, you know, like in real life, everybody has their preconceived notions of how things should be and like only things from their own perspective. I mean, I, I'm sure I do that as well. So. And then you have this format with 280 characters and you just, some people go in brutally hard and just ridicule everybody around there. It's like, it takes a degree in communication to be able to be effective on Twitter. Uh, and most people don't have, have that. But um, yeah, I try not to care too much. Um, I mean, one of, you have this whole tone debate 
Um, and I, oh god, I don't even know if we want to start this topic. <laughs> Do we want to talk about tone debates? Yeah, we, we're talking about we, whatever can, you want to talk about. Can, <laughs> can we just talk about like 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 football or something? No, no, sports is even worse. <laughs> no, yeah, we're in the UK. Right. We're not talking about football sports, right now. Sports oh, is sorry. Worse than oh, tone. I like that. That was culturally very inappropriate of me. <laughs> I, I have no preference either way. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. No. So like, so you have this tone debate, right? Like. Um, where people criticize other people for the way they criticize other people and it becomes a very meta discussion where everybody's criticizing each other's tone or lack thereof or um and i, I don't want to ridicule this discussion because i think it is a very important discussion but i guess it also highlights like the the, the troubles you might have on twitter where you say something one way and people pick it up a completely different way so what i've been trying to do is like really think like not is like i'm just gonna say it the way i want to say it but i'm really gonna say something so that it's the most effective um right so i think like for me that's like the main leading thing like how do you communicate something is it has to be effective so with the whole brian wensing stuff when i try to summarize like all of the criticism in one particularly long blog post um I did that in an extremely neutral way, at least that, that was the goal, because not because I think you can't like be more critical of someone and call it just like like the crappy science that it is, but I think it's just more effective if you don't. Um, so that, that I guess has been one of my leading uh, goals, I think. But it's hard, and Twitter is weird, but it's it's so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you're um, really good at keeping it. Um in that sort of nice neutral way but then recently instead of you like so you were quite neutral and explanatory about uh, it was data sharing right and then you were insulted um over and over oh again, yeah right? yeah and that was very weird because i've never gotten that level of backlash because the reasoning was that any kind of data sharing of human participants is like morally wrong and unethical and it's impossible to give to do that in an ethical way so i was like wow okay well that, that, if that's true we have a big problem because <laughs> i've been sharing data and like loads of other people have and like i'm pushing faster we need to share more data because it's like i think it's a very basic requirement that you're able to assess the evidential value of a study and then you kind of need the data um yeah so that was very odd but I just think that this person comes from a very specific background with a very specific mindset and maybe in his or her case has had bad experiences with data sharing and privacy. I don't know. Um, and maybe you just yeah. are irresponsibly. Uh, and in, in oh, that I mean, that's definitely true. I mean, that's why I put it in my profile. So let me... Like, yeah, like astonishingly irresponsibly inept. <laughs> I mean, but I, I think I'm going to... for a t-shirt. Yeah. Sips next yeah. year. Yeah. But in, on a more serious note, like from... I've gotten backlash before as well on Twitter, and I guess maybe I was in a different space because I, I didn't... I haven't done like things like the pizza papers where, you know, I went like massively open about things. But as a PhD student, it can be quite a blow when people you don't know yeah. or people who you can't even know because they're anonymous start criticizing you in a very personal way. 
So yeah. I don't know if you have any advice for other early career researchers in kind of how to deal with it or how you've navigated that yeah. for yourself. Yeah, so I think, I, I really think I've been very lucky in that sense. Um, I, I mean, I, I, the hard thing is that sometimes you could just find yourself that you're not in a position of power where other people just, like what you said, like extremely critical of your work and they can personally attack you and there's very little you can do. And then it's like, I, I don't know how to properly deal with that or avoid it because sometimes it just it just happens, right? It's like how some things suddenly go viral on, on the internet. It's like you, you can't predict that at all. Um, I mean, like I want to give the advice to not care too much, but that's like, I don't know, it's, that's, that's not something you can just like it's not like turning off a button or something um i think i, I mean, think I it's think interesting that, like something that anna shiel and others have always mentioned is that it's just important to have that community and that's the nice thing about twitter that you have this yeah. open science community and you know you can yeah, send a screenshot definitely. to people and people will be like that's ridiculous and you're like okay i'm, yeah. not, I'm not weird <laughs> you know and I, I found that that's been that's been really helpful for i think all of us in that absolutely have, yeah. bubble having a little bubble of friends, um, both virtual yeah, but and you real need life. That. Yeah, absolutely, you need that. And yeah, so maybe that will be my biggest advice, which was actually be your advice, so thank you. <laughs> uh, I, just, I just took over your interview, sorry, Tim. <laughs> no, that's good. I just woman no, that's very good. you. <laughs> it's very efficient if you do both the questions and the answers. You know, like, I could just sit here, so. Uh, well, actually, talking um, about yeah. Twitter, um, we did ask people uh, whether they had any questions for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we got one from Dr. Hannah Hobson. H hi, Hannah. Oh, oh, hi, hi, Dr. Hobson, I guess. Sorry. Should have done it yeah. that way around. Oh. That was not good, good of me. <laughs> um, uh, she asks, do you think some fields have the reproducibility issue addressed already? If so, what could we learn from them, speaking as a psychologist? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that question I already. <laughs> Fair that you would bring it up. Uh, yeah, it kind of, you know, I'm not sure if reproducibility is an issue you can address in a sense. Like, it always has to be an issue. Um, I, I think like one of the main problems in psychology was that we haven't been in a crisis for so long. And that now we're in a crisis and that's, that's good. And let's, let's keep this crisis going on. And like, you know, let's just, overdo it in a sense almost and there's like other fields that like for example um i read a lot of literature in like more educational psychology educational sciences and it doesn't seem to be in a crisis and i think that's a bad thing it, it should also be in a crisis um so yeah what does it mean if you've addressed the the reproducibility problem perhaps when you systematically building in you know, replications and reproducibility projects in your research. I guess that's when you're addressing it. Um, yeah, so I, like, I want to say feels like physics maybe do it a lot better, but I just don't know enough about it to make those kind of claims. Um, and I don't want to do that weird, like, physics envy where we're trying to, like, you know, you're not a real scientist unless you're a physicist. Um, it is true, obviously, but I, I don't want to say that out loud. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so no, I yeah, I think things like reproducibility, replications, it should be an issue, and it's I think it's lovely that we're 
that most people are now saying that we're in a crisis, at least in psychology, and we should we should keep this crisis going for a long while. So maybe other fields that's, could learn to also um, <laughs> be in crisis. <laughs> in crisis. Well, well, just oh like, yeah, criticize like, themselves in a way, maybe. Yeah, but uh, isn't that what science is about in a sense that you're continuous? I still there. Oh, yes, yes. yes. You just broke up with the most beautiful um, sentence. Start again with the, isn't that what science is about? <laughs> it was so nice. No, that's what science is about, period. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I think, I think what science is about is about, you know, continuously questioning the very foundation of everything you're doing in a sense, right? So if, if you're not questioning the foundation of, say, psychology, or if you're not questioning the validity of all those, all those, you know those studies we tell our undergrads about that that's a bad thing like uh, that's why i think like we had much more problems before when we didn't have this crisis now we have a crisis and that's that's a good thing it's a it's a good move so and that was tim Fundersee, the skeptical scientist <laughs> yeah <laughs> um maybe like to wrap up our episode i think that's already going into a really nice area of trying you know saying that skepticism should just be part of our our way of being a scientist i was wondering yeah. whether there's any words of you know we want to really speak to early career researchers through this podcast and if there are any words of advice to early career researchers, you know, a lot of things that we cover are quite negative. You know, you can't trust anything. Mm. Um, you know, we, all three of us and you as well have probably gone through a lot of thinking of, you know, am I shooting myself in the foot? Um, but will it, yeah. and all of these questions about, do you trust science? Is this what I want to do? Is I, do I want to stay in something that's in crisis? Um, and I guess maybe if you have any, words of advice of somebody who's kind of at the end of that process, at least from the PhD perspective, <laughs> looking back to kind of, a, you know, to maybe a first year student who's just kind of exploring these issues for the first time. Um, yeah. Kind of maybe something that you took out of out of the last few years of, of data drudging and, and skeptical science. Yeah. Well, I, I think like in, in a sense, what I just said a moment ago, like, it, we're in a crisis and that's pretty glorious like that's a good thing and this is very cool because we are now like this new generation that basically at the start of our PhDs this crisis was already starting going on whatever um, and that's great because like this is now our foundation we realize that all the kinds of crappy ways you can do science and we realize that yeah, well that's not good and we can do it in better ways and everybody or not everybody but quite some people are working on doing it better. Um, so we can be part of this, in a sense, like this new generation um, that knows about this from the start on, because it's a lot more difficult. If you've been doing research the same way for 20 years, and then suddenly those weird people on Twitter are saying like, uh-uh, what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing it that way. Um, you know, flair doesn't count as evidence. Um, I mean, in a sense, that's much harder because then you have to change like your whole view of science. Like we are like born into this this crisis thing, and uh, yeah, it, it's shitty, but it's also great. Um, and we don't have to solve it, right? As individuals, it, it, we can't. We just have to 
uh, give it our best. <laughs> that sounds lame. That's so lame. I'm so sorry. No, I think but, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's that was that was a very uh, good revolution speech. Yeah, a brilliant <laughs> positive oh, thank you. speech yeah. compared to some that I. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. probably a really good. Speech. Everything is going to shit, and that's great. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Uh, that will be the title of the episode. Um, yes, oh, this cool. is probably a really good um, point to wrap up. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, thank you for our listeners for listening in to our first episode of Speciality of Reproducibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>